many of the Christians who were abolitionists, they were saved out of the Second Great Awakening. And they came to see that this institution, this, this system was uh, was wrong. It was evil. And they spoke to the conscience of the nations. So God used them. In other words, when, when God brought the awakening, uh, it made a difference in the society. So I think we don't need to overlook that uh, slavery. Yes, you know, we, we can thank God for the leaders, the government leaders who, who were there and who made bold decisions like Abraham Lincoln and others. But God, even before the years before then, he was using his people to speak to the conscience of this nation about how immoral this was and how it was really the uh, the blight of this nation. Well, we want to welcome you to our monthly feature with professors from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. It's our pleasure to have them come in, share their heartbeat for ministry, learn more about the seminary and its ministry to train men and women for the gospel. Of course, the college at Mid-America, helping prepare those undergraduate students, and then as they sense a call to fulfill God's call on their life for gospel ministry, and that could be anywhere in the world, as a missionary, as a pastor, and through education. It's just incredible. But having a place that is resting upon the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and preaches that the Bible is God's word, and that is so important. And so we're thankful here at Bot Radio Network for the partnership and the relationship we have had for so many years with the seminary. And today we want to welcome Professor Dr. Kenneth Lewis. Ken, it's good to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Byron. Thank you so much, brother, for having me. Your ministry started, well, actually, let's back up. You grew yes, up sir. in uh, Salus, Mississippi? Yes, sir. A rural area in north central Mississippi. So not many people have heard of it, but uh, that's where the Lord saw fit for me to grow and to uh, come to Christ, even during uh, that season of life, and to learn much about hard work <laughs> and really to uh, look back and reflect on how far the Lord has brought us. Well, tell us a little about your family, your mom, your dad, what kind of work your parents did. Yeah, so my father, uh, he did a lot of outdoor work, you know, like um, logging, pupwood. Yeah. <laughs> and so I grew up sort of in that very hard labor, outdoor kind of work. And so I had a, a learned appreciation for getting up really early during summers <laughs> to be out <laughs> before it got too hot. Yeah. And uh, and so, again, the Lord used that to, to develop within me a work ethic and, and sacrifice what it meant to take care of a family. Uh, my mother was a homemaker, and of course, she uh, took care of her children. It was four of us, uh, you know, two boys, two girls. And Are you so the oldest? I am the oldest. So we grew up uh, really as a tight-knit family, you'd say. And the Lord, um, it, it, my parents still stay there, right? And so we, we, we go get a chance to go back at times and to uh, to visit and, uh, and really, you know, look back again and see, hey, you know, the Lord has done great things yes. and how he has used how we grew up to, to be the people that we are now. What stands out to you about your dad? You mentioned the work ethic, but what are some other characteristics of your dad that you really admired growing up? Yeah, my father, I mean, not only was he hardworking, but he was one who, who really believed that the family and the household needed to be stable, right? My parents also, my father and my mother, both valued education. Where we grew up, you know, education, we grew up in a, you know, it was a county school, not well-resourced, but they were very adamant that we're going to, uh, as they say, get our lesson. We were going to study hard. We're going to do our best. And so I, I learned from him that, that whatever we do, right, you know, we give ourselves to it. We do the best that we can. 
and we leave the results up to God, you know, with him having sort of this business of his own of, yes. of wedding and logging. I mean, it was a it was very difficult. But um, that steadfastness, that that stick to itness, uh, it. you know, not giving up and just stand after it day after day uh, that that really stuck with me. That is a model that we don't see much in today's generation. You know, the fathers giving that example of hard work, hard work ethic, family, caring for the family. We need more of that, Ken. I agree, Byron. Uh, I believe that is the crisis of our society is, uh, you know, one is, is fatherlessness, and then the other is fathers who are really not fulfilling their God-called duties uh, to to lead their children in that way. So uh, there's great opportunity for fathers now in this this, um, society to make a difference. Where and how did you meet Benita, who is your wife, and God's blessed you? Is it three children? Yes, yes. And so older son, uh, he lives in Philadelphia, and our two girls at home now, one's in college, one's finishing high school next year. We met in Huntsville, Alabama, which is, you know, where uh, after I finished school at Mississippi State University. Well, congratulations on the national championship. Yes, yes, you know, we are. Yeah, you know, the, the first baseball. ever. Yes. <laughs> You're quite proud of that. But I uh, did my undergraduate actually in computer science. He just went to school and uh, was pretty good at math and the sciences. And so somebody says, hey, just major in computers. So it's, is that the direction you wanted to pursue? It was, yeah. yeah. So uh, someone just advised me, hey, if you're good at this, you can make a lot of money when you finish college. <laughs> and so, again, coming from a rural area where we didn't have a whole lot, right. you know, uh, I was just wanting to say, I want opportunity. And so went to Mississippi State, by the grace of God, finished there with my bachelor's degree and, and was hired immediately after uh, by a company in Huntsville, Alabama. That, so you go to the tech mecca of the world, Huntsville, <laughs> all the engineers. I think there's more engineers per capita in Huntsville. My brother-in-law works for NASA and lives in Huntsville. So I know there's many engineers and techie people like yourself. <laughs> That's the culture there. I mean, I was uh, the first company that hired me was a uh, NASA subcontractor so uh so i worked there for a few years then you know made a couple of changes but i lived there for 16 years and we met benita i met benita shall i say uh through a through a common friend you know through a friend we both had a good brother he introduced us and then from there we uh the lord brought us together and and, uh, we've been married now for uh, almost 21 years oh that's beautiful yeah and so the specific call on your life to give up that to pursue you went to huntsville bible college Yes, sir. Was that just so you could get deeper in the Word, or did you sense a God's call on your life prior to entering that Bible college? Yeah, I tell you what, uh, I, I sensed a call before then. I was in the corporate world. I was in that track of giving myself completely to doing all I could to succeed in the corporate level, right, to sort of climbing that ladder. And the Lord just, uh, man, he really burdened me. Again, I was saved, you know, in, in uh, when I was in high school as a 13-year-old. I knew what it you know, what I was supposed to be doing as far as following the Lord and, and committing myself to the church. And I was not doing it. I was one of those who went to college and got into that track of life and was more interested in, in the things of the world. And so the Lord, after I finished college and sort of was working and again, the Lord was giving me great success and all of that. And, and, uh, but there was something that was missing. I knew that I was not serving the Lord. I was not following him like I should. We, um, Got married and sort of, and the Lord used that to sort of turn my heart back to the things of Him and became more involved in the church and then just through teaching and, and other things. The Lord was just, He was shaping my heart and giving me a hunger for the Word that even to this day is insatiable. So I, I went to Bible college then just to learn more. I wasn't really trying to get a degree, I was just trying to learn more about the Bible because I was teaching it on, you know, a couple of days a week at our church. And then the Lord just continued to work, continued, continued to draw me to this idea of uh, vocational ministry. Yeah, and, and I'll it, tell you what, how really what, a turning point for, for us 
we were here uh, in Memphis uh, at at St. Jude, my youngest daughter. She was being treated here. Oh. We were at the time um, inpatient, and I was watching the news, and uh, there was some big story about this uh, well-known preacher named Adrian Rogers who had just passed, and that was 2005. And so it became an interest to me, like this guy, you know, I love preaching, and I was at the time just started you know, into the preaching ministry, and so I inquired further and learned about, through him, through researching him about this great radio station that he preached on every day, yes. and so I started listening to Bot Radio. This station here? This station here, awesome. when, you know, during our time here, and then I learned more about Dr. Adrian Rogers, and he had preached at a school called Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, and so that picked my interest, <laughs> and then once we went back to Huntsville, and then as if the Lord was saying, you guys, you are going to come back here. And, uh, and so he brought us back. And In 2008, so, you can move back. Yes. In 2008, we moved back here as a family. We up, you know, we pulled up the tent pegs. And we, everybody, all four of us came here. And, uh, and the Lord just used it to allow me to go to Mid-America, get a couple of degrees, and then uh, the opportunity to serve there on the faculty and staff. Ken, what are the signs to look for if I'm receiving proper biblical teaching and preaching? The signs to look for is the person who who is the proclaimer or the teacher of the word. Do they have an open Bible with them when they teach? Right. I mean, I I know that seems obvious, but if I'm just kind of up there coming from you know my own thoughts, while they may be things from the Bible, but is it biblical, so yeah. to speak? Right. So I would say, like I, I know we have technology now, and I can I you know have an iPad here in front of me, but I like to always when I preach and when I teach to have an open Bible. So um, a Bible is is the first thing. So I think secondly, that person he will help others will point them to the Bible. In other words, at the church that I pastor, I preach verse by verse expository through books of the Bible. Yeah. And so part of that is I'm teaching, I'm leading my congregation, I'm, I'm showing them the value of the Word of God, all of it, right. right, as I go through it. You want to look for that. You want to see that someone is is really showing the Word of God to be not just authoritative, but to be effective for, for our lives, right? That it is it is applicable, it is pertinent to, to our everyday living. So if they have a Bible, I believe is one thing, and then also as they teach and as they point people to the Word of God. Oh, I love that. Well, what if I suspect that my pastor is not teaching and preaching biblically? What should I do? I mean, you know, I, I think there could be those listening to us today that might be in that situation is they are understanding it maybe as a new believer in Christ. They've received Christ's forgiveness mm. at Calvary. They understand their relationship with him secure, and they're starting to want to grow. But they mm. pick up that maybe their pastor isn't doing that. What should they do? I believe uh, in the entire body taking responsibility, shall I say. So I believe that person should prayerfully go to their pastor and ask some questions about the way they are teaching or preaching. Like, just ask them, like, are we, you know, are we really staying true to the word here? Are, are we really drawing out of the scriptures, you know, from, from your teaching and preaching? Are we, are we hearing, you know, the word of God from the scriptures themselves? Yes, yes. I, I believe that's a good question to ask. Again, it could be asked in a way that's not uh, confrontational, you know, but uh, it could be a way to, to provoke the pastor. Maybe the pastor has uh, kind of gotten busy and distracted and, and has and his devotional time is is, is, is lacking and, and he's not committing himself to the Word of God like he needs to. And that just may be a, kind of that, that, that spur he needs to, yeah. uh, that encouragement that he needs to really you know recommit himself that right. even his congregation, they're seeing that he's, yes. he's 
he's really not uh, he's, he's not biblical. Right? He's not bleeding, as yeah. Spurgeon say. He's yeah. not you know he's not bleeding the the Bible. And, right. Uh, so I believe that can be a big help for the people to do that. I think also secondly to pray. You know, to pray for uh, pastors. I mean, warfare is real. And all of these things we face as pastors, I'm a bivocational pastor, right? I serve full-time at Mid-America, and I also pastor a church. Now, most pastors are in that mode. They, they work bivocational. They have to work a full-time job to support themselves, especially those who pastor the normal-sized churches, which are smaller, right? Yes. Which are a majority of churches in America. It is. It is. And so he's working. I mean, he's human. So he's, he's working, and he's giving himself to this job that demands his time mm-hmm. and his energies. And he has a family that demands his time and energy. But... You know, maybe somehow he's you know not kept a good balance there and, and not committing himself. I made the word of God a priority. So I right. believe that sometimes the pastor needs that encouragement to really recommit himself to the word of God. People will know. They yes. will know clearly if that pastor is immersing himself in the word of God. I love that. What are some steps, Ken, to become a better teacher of the Bible as a layperson? That's a great question, Byron, and I appreciate that because I hear oftentimes from people asking that very same question. I think the first step is to make sure they are committed to their church, right, and that they are attending everything they can in terms of gatherings that really bring forth the Word of God. For You know, like preaching, right? If the pastor is preaching the Word of God, I mean, be there. You know, yeah. give your attention to it, you know. Take uh, notes. Amen. Take notes. Take notes. You know, come and, and be refreshed. You know, don't come just tired. You know, just get a good night's sleep. Get a good breakfast. Come and, and give your full attention to the Word of God. And, and again, if there's a small group, be a part of that and, and, and commit yourself to the ministry of the Word in that way. I think another thing is just to read the Bible, develop a discipline of reading the Bible every day. It can be a chapter a day. It can be, you know, if you got 10 minutes, use that 10 minutes for the Word of God. Just commit yourself to the Word of God. I mean, we, we are in a t- time in this country where there is, you know, we can get the Word of God on our mobile devices, right? Uh, right. We can we can get a Word of God. We can listen to good radio, yeah. right? You know, I mean, the Bible teaching plug for bot. I mean, it's just day and night. You can get all kinds of good content there. So, Rather than sort of listening to other things, listen to the Word of God. Uh, I think also take advantage of the opportunities to to get more training. A school like Mid-America, right, you know, we offer courses where people can either take an audit or they can just take a class. You know, if they want to do it for credit and do the work, I mean, they can still do it and not be degree-seeking. But if you have the opportunity to do that, uh, and we offer all of our classes online, so if you work full-time, you can still take the classes and you can interact or engage with the content, you know, the course content online. And, of course, professors, we make ourselves available to students as well for those who are online. What are some possible misconceptions that a new seminary student might have about teaching and preaching? Do you find that some do have misconceptions about it? Yes, yes. I would say one of the biggest misconceptions, one can be proficient in teaching it apart from committing themselves to it. Let me explain that. You know, we live in a media culture now where a person can, you know, again, can follow great Bible teaching, well-known, capable Bible teachers out there with large platforms. And and a young person may commit themselves to that person's teaching and follow them, but they don't have a, a strong Bible commitment on their own. So in other words, what they are drawing from is what they are hearing from their favorite Bible teachers. And again, if they're great Bible teachers, we do learn from each other in that way, but there, there's yes. nothing that can replace right. that pastors that ministers own commitment to the word yeah. of God because he, yes. he he preaches he serves from the overflow what God is doing in his life. Someone said that when you only you're listening to somebody else's sermon, I mean you're sort of taking digested food already, right? Redigesting yeah, yeah, it, yeah. but but we need to digest our own. Well, I had a professor in Bible college that used to say that parrots are a dime a dozen. 
mm. but prophets are few. Mm. I always remembered that. We have to remember that the great teacher for us is the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he is the one who teaches us in all truth, right? Amen. We're not just talking about an academic preparation. This is a spiritual relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that we learn the Word and then teach the Word. Amen. Amen. It is a development. One of the things we do at Mid-America, one of the courses that's important for our students is spiritual maturity or spiritual formation, right? right? They have to take that. They have to learn how to have their own time in the Word, their own time prayer and, and developing those spiritual disciplines that will that will build them up in the faith because again one can't lead where they're not following if one not following christ in those matters of spiritual development they can't lead others in that so i i, I see some students who i don't want to say t- take a shortcut but in some ways it is something of a shortcut because right. you know there's nothing can substitute one's own wrestling with the text one own in prayer um, and how god uses that to make that man who he is yes and, uh, so yeah great word yeah. How important is it for a pastor to have an accountability structure or a network connected to his ministry of accountability? It is vitally important, Byron, uh, because in the pastorate especially, it can be a lonely place, right? You, you, you lead a church, but you're, you're in a unique position as the, as the one who stands out front. Not over people, I say out front. You're leading them where you know God God is leading you, but but you, you're in a place to where not many people can understand where you are and your struggles, except someone else who's going through it. You look at the right the apostles, right? They had that connection with each other. Yes. I mean, they they needed that peer relationship in order to make them uh, be the best they could be. Right? I mean, it was Paul who confronted Peter when Peter uh, became a bit too um, in bondage or captivated by his Jewish culture and his preferences and where Peter had to confront right. I mean, Paul rather had to confront him to his face about not living according to the gospel. And Peter, although he, he knew better, but there was a point in time where the pressure sort of pulled him in a direction he didn't need to go. So Peter needed that fellow brother, apostle, to uh, to really uh, meet him face to face and yes. say, hey, you know, this is a, this is a better way to live. <laughs> this is, you're, not, you're not doing it. As we all, again, we all have blind spots. We all have these types of, um, I won't say temptations, but these things that would draw us away from living according to the gospel and having another person there, it's really important for that accountability. I know that Greek is another area where you uh, teach at the seminary. Biblical Greek opens up our understanding, of course, to the original text, and it helps really deepen our understanding of what Scripture is trying to teach us, you know, when we understand the original. Of course, not everybody, like myself, you know, I love it when my pastor will refer back and say, you know, the Greek means this, and it opens up a, a well of information, you know, and, and a spiritual light, you know, that gets shined onto it. Can you give us an example of maybe one of your favorite New Testament texts where understanding the Greek brings a clear insight into the text? Yeah, sure. You know, I'll go back to John three sixteen. You know, that most yes. <laughs> a well known scripture verse. If there's any one verse that memorizes <laughs> that one, for God so loved the world, right? And so English language, English translations say, "For God so loved," right? And so typically we understand that to mean He loved them in a way that was measured, right? You know, we can measure it was it was a great and it was a great love. It is a great love. Yeah. Uh, however, that text that that word "so" is translated from a Greek word that means in this way. In other words. So love means that he he loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten son. His love was shown in how he gave his only begotten son. 
So, yeah, God loved the world so much as we'd understand it, right? I mean, it's a passionate love. It is an indefinite love that we, we can't measure. But, but really, that text is saying that, lo- that, that the way he loved us is seen in him sending his son. Because wow. that, that, love is an action. Love is a sacrifice, right? Love is a giving of oneself for the good of another. Yeah, quite a contrast to today's definition of love. And what we see maybe in the, in the world's standard or definition of love, but is this the same as agape love you're talking it about? It is. It is agape love, right? Agape love is a love of action. And we often relate love to an emotion. So so when one says, for God so loved the world, uh, again, people may see that ha- as having an emotional context, but really it's a volitional context. God loved and that he gave. Love is giving. And that's what real love is. Oh, how our marriages and relationships and churches and all of those would be better if we understood that love is a, is a matter of giving, it's not a matter of how we feel. Yes. Yeah. I know another area of your expertise and passion is church history. Where was America, spiritually speaking, prior to the First Great Awakening between 1730-1750? Great question. You know, it was really, at that time, it, it was not a nation. You know, you had these settlements, you know, you had really disparate uh, type of governments and, and ideals as to what would happen. You still had England with their uh, rule over, over these new settlements. And so there was a lot of disorder. You know, of course, it's disorder today, but it was, it was quite a bit more then. But spiritually, right, it was, it was a time where because you didn't have sort of the heavy oversight that you'd have back in England. I mean, it was really in some ways it was a bit more looser in terms of... Uh, The voice of the king was considered the voice of God. It was. Right? So when he spoke, must have had this conflict. We've left that dictatorship, if you will. Sure. Still feeling a sense of loyalty. Should I still respond to the king's commands? Correct. You had that. But then you also had sort of the Puritans, you know, who were trying to bring a consciousness to, to this new settlement, to the culture about moral living and, and these kinds of things. So really you had a country that was teetering um, in regards to its purpose, its identity, and really who's in charge, kind of, so to speak, right? Although, yeah, England was still officially in charge, but you had the people here wanting to be self-willed, and eventually it did lead up to the you know the Revolutionary War and the independence. I think that's interesting, too. You know, there were at least three possible impacts that came from the Great Awakening, the origin of fundamentalism, context of the American Revolution, which you stated, and a rise to emotional revivalism. And those are three things that kind of stand out because of that. Can you offer maybe a little perspective from the Great Awakening sure. and insights for the church for future seasons of revival as we look at those? Mm. Amen. Amen. That's, that's a great question. So you go back to the Great Awakening, and when you look at the first Great Awakening, and typically when people think about those times, they say, wow, it was such a move of God. And it was. People were really, you know, getting saved, and they were getting right. You know, they're becoming more moral and responsible uh, but also what was happening is that they were that was emanating out into the broader culture, right? And so even when you had the first great awakening, you had, say, Jonathan Edwards, who had this idea of disinterested benevolence, you know, the sense that a person has affections toward God, not out of self-interest, but because of the glory of God. Well, then you had others who said, hey, you know what, this disinterested benevolence should be toward people who are made in the image of God. So we should do good to others, right? You know, it was a reminder that, you know, the revivalism is not just about individual pietism, but it's really about us making a difference in the culture around us. And we saw that in the first Great Awakening, but you saw it really take place in the second Great Awakening, right? We had so many of these social reforms mm-hmm. and institutions that were formed to address the social ills of society. And, of course, you know, we talk about, you know, one of the biggest social issues of that time was slavery, yes. right? But need not overlook is that 
many of the Christians who were abolitionists, they were saved out of the Second Great Awakening. And they came to see that this institution, this, this system was uh, was wrong, it was evil, and they spoke to the conscience of the nations. So God used them. In other words, when, when God brought the awakening, uh, it made a difference in the society. So I think we don't need to overlook that uh, slavery. Yes, you know, we, we can thank God for the leaders, the government leaders who, who were there and who made bold decisions like Abraham Lincoln and others. But God, even before then, years before then, he was using his people. To, uh, to speak to the conscience of this nation about how immoral this was and, and how it was really the, uh, the blight of this nation. Yes. Ken, who were those African-American pastors or ministers during the formation of the early church in America who invested in a gospel-centered ministry but may not be as well known to us today? Yeah, sure. One of the first ones I think about is John Jasper. I mean, he was one of these strong-voiced preachers of that time, and he was seen, regarded as one who was as biblical as they come when it comes to the pulpit ministry. Also, I mean, he, he spoke to the issues of his day from uh, the perspective of being a, a black preacher, but also was able to speak as one having the authority of the Word of God, a prophetic preacher even. And But he gained the respect of so many uh, because of his uh, his prowess in the pulpit. So they, they saw him as, as one who, who really had a strong handle of the Word of God, but, but also had the pulpit oratory yes. in order to, to, to get the message across. Of course, many know about Richard Allen. I mean, he was the founder of the uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church, but, you know, he uh, went started a denomination. Um, you know, really, it was a separation that occurred because of some issues of, of, of race and partiality with the Methodists that were happening at the time. But it was happening across many other churches as well. But he saw the, the need to develop for blacks to have the opportunity to congregate and to grow in the word of God, understanding that, that the church really is this instrument God uses to help people, you know, in their everyday lives. And so he uh, he led in that. And so pulpit as well as uh, social ministry, uh, he was very effective in that. Well, our time is wrapping up here on today's show. Dr. Kenneth Lewis, Director of Information Technology, Assistant Professor of Practical Theology, New Testament, and Church History at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. Thank you, my dear brother. Thanks for sharing with us on our monthly feature with media professor from Mid-America. We have such a great time together today. (laughs) Byron, the pleasure has been all mine. Again, thank you so much for this invitation, and thank you for the partnership with Mid-America and helping us to really uh, share what we're all about. Thank you. Well, we encourage our friends listening to learn more about the seminary at mabts.edu, mabts.edu, and you can learn about the College at Mid-America, learn about seminary and other venues that are available to further education and grow in your knowledge of Scripture and your walk with Christ, again, mabts.edu. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for joining us. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Don't forget the first Thursday of each month, we invite a different professor to join us from Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. If you have questions about the Bible for us to consider answering on a future program, please send us an email to btyler at botradionetwork.com. Remember to read your Bible and apply the truth. Coming up, more great Bible teaching here on Bot Radio Network.